Hey guys, you are listening to the Blonde Ambition Podcast with Roxy Brown, and this is my second installment, I guess we could say episode dose. Uh, Today's going to be really different than the first podcast, and I don't know how this is going to go, but I think that this is for someone. I think someone needs this today. So today is going to be last week's podcast. My very first one was on personal branding. If you haven't listened, you can go back and check that out on my website, roxybrown.com. I went over all the different ways or a lot of the different ways that I personally brand myself and including and market myself, including specific websites. So if you're interested in that, you can go back and look at it or listen to it. But today I'm going to talk about something completely different. When I posted that podcast last week, I was pretty open about the fact that I was really nervous about it. And I have no idea why. It's really easy for me, for some reason, to go on LinkedIn and type my thoughts. And I know that that's written and that's put out there. It's really easy for me to post a picture of myself on Instagram. That doesn't bother me. But for some reason, voice, the idea of putting my voice out there really made me nervous. And I think, judging by the response that I got from everyone, I think that there is a misconception out there that people who are able to do things that they're afraid of somehow are different than other people. So I'm going to talk today about how I feel fear and how I do it anyway. And in order for me to really give you guys the full picture, I need to talk a little bit about my past. Stick with me because I promise there's a point and I'm going to try to make it as short as I can, but but there's some backstory that you need to know so that you can understand how I got to where I am and, and what headspace I'm in currently. I grew up, I'm not sure if it was chicken or the egg, but I grew up in a home life that wasn't very settled. There was a lot going on. And so... I'm not sure if I've always had anxiety, if I was just born with it, because I do think there's some genetic predisposition to it, or if the kind of chaotic home life that I had when I was a kid really played into the anxiety, and, and it's probably a mixture of both, but for whatever reason, I was literally the kid who had so much anxiety that I was five years old and my mother took me to a hypnotist to try and get me to stop biting my nails because I had so much anxiety at five that I literally would would bite my nails until they bled. I got my first stomach ulcer at the age of 11 from stress, if that gives you any indication of the type of calm energy that, <laughs> that I carried with me. So when I was young, I was probably around eight years old. I was lucky enough to have both of my great-grandparents living. So the grandmother that you'll hear me speak of and that you'll see me talk about on LinkedIn, this was her parents and they were both living and we were living close to them, geographically close. So I got to spend a lot of time with them. And my great grandfather fell and broke his hip. And he, we decided, the family decided, I was just a little girl, but the family decided that it would be best that he go to the nursing home for rehab. Uh, and so as to not put so, put so much strain on his wife, you know, she was already in her 80s as well. And so he went to the nursing home to rehab the hip that he broke. So my grandmother, his daughter, spent a lot of time up there. In fact, she did a lot. She ran the kitchen at the nursing home so that so that she could keep an eye on him, basically keep an eye on her dad and make sure that he was doing what the nurses told him and that he was rehabbing properly. 
A little known fact about me is that I was homeschooled for the majority of my young life up until high school. And so I used to go up during the day and I used to visit my grandmother and visit my great grandfather in the nursing home. And I met a guy named Fred. Fred was a resident at the nursing home. Keep in mind, I was maybe around eight-ish. I was young. And Fred was the nicest guy. You know, I think it's a little bit scary for someone who's young to be in sort of a nursing home facility because there are some people who are not in their current mind, you know, and so it can be a little bit scary and intimidating. But Fred was the nicest guy and he was physically in a wheelchair, but his mind was totally there. And so we would sit and Fred would talk to me. And I'm going to be honest. When Fred would talk to me, this was the first time ever that I had realized and looked at a person. I was just a little girl and it, it had never dawned on me before Fred that people had a backstory. So I was looking at people as a little girl and I was looking at them as what they were today. You know, Fred actually, during his lifetime, served in the war and then he was a teacher when he came back. And so it just didn't dawn on me that this person sitting in this nursing home right now had all of this life before them. It, it, It never hit me that way, not because they were seniors, but because I had never looked at someone in that capacity. And so I vividly remember talking to Fred and I vividly remember one thing he said, which was that Fred told me that he had gone to the war. He had, you know, seen things that no one should have seen. He had a wife of 50 years that had passed before him. And he was a teacher and he said, Rox, I loved my life, but I could have done so much more. And I'm not sure why that phrase stuck with me, but it did. And I didn't really fully realize the grasp of what Fred was trying to tell me because I was too young until I got older. So fast forward, that started my love of seeing people and and especially the elderly and making sure that they were taken care of. And when I went to high school, I was in the National Honor Society. And as part of the National Honor Society, you had to do continuing, not continuing education, you had to do... um, gosh, what's it called? We had to do community service. And I knew immediately that I wanted to start something with a local nursing home in town. And so what I had gotten approved is that twice a year during Halloween, for the month leading up to Halloween and for the month leading up to Easter, I at my high school collected candy from the other, especially National Honor Society kids. And I can't remember, they got like an hour of community service credit if they bought me four bags of candy or whatever the conversion was. But I collected candy and twice a year I helped the nursing homes advertise it. And this was the most amazing experience, you guys. Still to this day, it it makes me tear up. They would bring all of the residents out that were able to come out into the lobby, into the foyer, and they would make a big U shape. And they were all sitting against the walls in a U shape all around the nurses station. And by the time I was in high school, my friend Fred had passed. But there were other people that I had become close to. And they would bring in, the, the, the town that I lived in would bring in their kids in their little Halloween costumes. And they would literally trick or treat or they would pick Easter candy at the nursing home. And it, it still makes me tear up to think about the fact that those kids didn't know what they were doing. The kids, all they knew was that they were trick or treating and that they cleaned house with candy. There was probably 75 residents in a big U line and the kids just went down the line and every resident got to give them a piece of candy. 
but to see these people these seniors in this nursing home give these people these little kids candy and the joy that they got out of seeing their little costumes and their little easter dresses it was nothing short of amazing and every single time it would make these elderly people think of their lives and i know that they saw in these little kids their grandchildren or their great-grandchildren or even maybe their children when they were young you know it brought back so many memories for them and every single one of them, when they would tell me their story, these elderly people, they had something in common. They would tell me all of these beautiful things. You know, I got to live with my spouse for all this time and I experienced all of these things and, and I, I did this in my life or I did that in my life. But if you keep listening, if you let them tell you about all the great things that they appreciate about their life and they're grateful for, if you keep listening, you get to, to the point of this podcast, which is that every single one of them goes into... I wish I had known, fill in the blank. I wish I had been able to tell my younger self that it was going to be okay. I wish I had been able to tell my younger self that I was going to meet a nice spouse and nice and have a loving marriage. I wish I was able to tell the younger me that, that the career that I picked was going to bring me fulfillment. It's all these things they wish they could have told their younger self. And so right now, this is, this is getting to the point. This is, how, this, is, this is how I used this in order to help myself feel fear and do it anyway. Okay? I want you to picture a time in your life right now when you were maybe your late teens, maybe your early 20s. But I want you to picture right now when it was that you really left home for the first time. Maybe it was for college, maybe it was for a job, maybe it was to go backpack Europe, I don't know. But I think we can all, I was 17. We can all agree how, how terrifying that was. I was 17 and, and I kind of hinted before at the fact that I, I didn't have a great home life. There was a lot of chaos going on. And all I knew at 17 was that I knew that I was about to get swallowed up by the world. Like I was smart enough at 17, no matter what kind of front or, or face that I tried to put on, I was smart enough at 17 to realize, holy cow, I have no idea what's about to happen to me. I had some likes and some dislikes, but, but think back to that age that you were, how young you were, how much you didn't know, how much was totally unknown to you. And all I knew for sure was at the ripe old age of 17, all I knew for sure was that I couldn't stay where I was. I had no idea what was about to happen to me, but all I knew for sure is that I couldn't stay, that I had to go try something. And I'm sitting here right now in 2018, and I wish more than anything I could go back to my 17-year-old self and, and give myself a hug and tell myself it's going to work out. My path has not been in any way, shape, or form linear, right? I've had giant ups and downs. I mean, I've lost everything. I've made it. I've lived in my car. I've made it back. I mean, it's been literally a roller coaster ride. But if I, at 17, could have had the knowledge that I have now in that you're going to make it, you're going to find a way, that's what I would want to tell myself. And I want you to think about what it is that when you were younger, you, you took that big step. What would you tell yourself if now, if you could go back and sit across the table from the 17-year-old you? This is exactly the thought process that I go through when I have a big decision that I have to make. 
that I am either unsure about or feel fear about. And the process goes like this. I come to a decision, I come to a crossroads, and I feel an enormous amount of fear about it. You guys, I don't, I don't think, I think some of you are going to understand this, and I think some of you are going to be surprised by this, but this is TMI, so if you're easily offended or easily grossed out, close your ears for a couple seconds. I have literally felt so much fear about a decision and so much anxiety about a decision that I have been so sick to my stomach and nauseous about a decision that I have clicked okay or put that letter in the mail or sent that email and hit send and immediately had to run to the bathroom because I was nauseous and sick. But I'm able to make those decisions because I now have trained my brain to think of things in this way. I picture myself at 80 years old. Whatever that looks like to you, the visualization is important. I picture myself at 80 years old, and I picture myself, for me, I'm sitting on my back porch, on my back patio, I'm overlooking a lake, I'm sitting in my chair, and I'm having my morning cup of coffee. And don't kid yourself, I'm still not a morning person, even at 80. So it's like 10 a.m., right? The sun is definitely high already, but I'm having my first cup of coffee. And I ask myself... I think of myself at that age, at 80 years old, and I say, what would I tell myself to do right now? Knowing that I know that feeling because I know what I would tell my 17-year-old self right now here in 2018. I know what I would tell the teenage self of me to do. I try to put myself in that same situation, and I think when I'm 80, would I have told myself to go for this? When I'm looking back on my life at the end of my years, hopefully I'm, you know, blessed enough to be able to be here until I'm 80. But if I'm looking back on my life and it's taken me and I've got all this knowledge and it's not knowledge in the way of I know what the stock market's going to do, but it's knowledge in the way of I know that it's all going to work out in the end. And I know that I want to live my life with as few regrets as possible. So when I think about myself on that back patio, sipping that coffee, I think to myself, Roxy, what would you, what would your loving self at 80 years old tell you right now to do? That's how I make important decisions and that's how I feel fear and do it anyway. The truth is it's not always the same. I realize that some of my decisions, some of the answers that I get are, are that it, you just have to stay the course. You know, I realize that not every day can I go for that three-point shot. Some days I have to take my one-point layup and go on about my day and, and, you know, in the words of my grandmother, live to fight another day. But some days, some decisions, I know that no matter how fearful I am, I know that the, the senior version of myself would say, Roxy, you can do this. You can go for it. Who cares if it works out? You got a story to tell and you got a memory to make and you should go for it. And it's not that the fear completely dissipates every single time. That's not true. I still feel the fear. But I know in that split second after I visualize that moment, I know what the right answer is and it allows me to actually feel the fear and do it anyway. 
the visualization is really important you guys i think some people think of visualization as like meditation and kind of hoo-ha and new agey but the visualization of yourself at that moment in your life is what actually gives you the ability to sort of drown out the things that are going on around you and it doesn't have to be a long process it can be a short five minute sort of thing but you have to be able to visualize yourself and in order to kind of quiet the rest of your mind and it becomes really apparent really quick what the right decision for you is and so you and I may sit here and we may think about think about that and we may have the exact same decision to make and it it may be two completely different answers for the both of us but the important part is if you're able to do that at least for me, if I'm able to do that, if I'm able to sit down and think about, man, what would I tell myself when I now? What would make my 80-year-old self be proud of me for doing? If I think about it in that way, the decision is always comes to me quickly. It's not a giant pros and cons list, you know, because I can sit there, you guys, and I can analyze something to death. I can play devil's advocate and I can change my own mind five times in the course of an hour. Easy. I am, I am very left-brained and I am an analyzer, sometimes to a fault. And so sometimes on those big decisions, I, I literally have to, to take it back and take a step back and think, you know, I can go back and forth about this for days, but what's right for me? What's gonna, what decision is going to give me a life that is not full of regret? And every time that I have gone through a milestone in my life, I literally think back to Fred. You know, I didn't, there was no way that my eight-year-old self could have comprehended what he was trying to say, but he planted that seed. And it really made a difference. Every time I've gone through something in life, I realize, oh, that's what Fred was talking about. Fred had regrets, and I don't think there's any way any of us are going to live to be 80 years old and not regret something. I don't think that's realistic. But especially about the important things about what you are doing daily, you know, your job. If you hate it, what is that going to translate into when you're 80 years old? What kind of life are you going to live that you're going to be proud to live it? What kind of memories are you going to make through the experiences that you have that are going to allow you to sit on your back porch when you're 80 years old and think, man, that was fun. You know, that, that I, I experienced a lot. Whatever that looks like to you, that's, that's got to drive your decisions now, today. Because it's really easy to wimp out and it's really easy to play it safe and it's really easy to just pay the bills and, you know, take the kids to soccer and and I get it. It's life can swallow you up if you let it. But if you're fortunate enough to to live that long, what, what kind of life are you living right now that would make yourself proud when you're that age, when you're when it's time for you to just rest and enjoy, you know, the peace and quiet or whatever it is that your retirement is going to look like. That is a way for me that I can easily see what kind of life I want to be living now, by what kind of memories I want to have made by the time I'm old. So I don't know if that's a new way of looking at things for any of you. I really hope that that helps some of you. I really do. 
it's made a tremendous impact in my life and it's helped me I'm not going to say that my anxiety is ever gone. I don't think that's the case, but it certainly has helped me to make decisions that are not crippled by fear and by anxiety. And every single time I have made one of those decisions, I have known that it's been the right decision for me. And it really has created something in my life. So here's what I'm going to do. I am going to go on my webpage, which is roxybrown.com. And I'm going to post a picture. You can come on and tell me what you think of it. I'll have comments, the ability to comment up. Or you can come on my LinkedIn, Roxy Brown, and uh, and tell me what you think about it. But I'm going to post a picture of me, and it's kind of several generations in the, uh, I was in high school at this point, in the exact nursing home that I met Fred in and that I handed out, you know, had the kitties and handed out I had the residents hand out candy and I'm going to put a picture up of myself and this is, let's see, I'm probably 16 in this picture, 15, 16, so you'll get a good laugh out of it. Uh, My fashion choices are absolutely questionable, but I'm going to post the picture that kind of goes along with the story on my website so you can see it and comment on it. And if this helps you, if this is something that you guys, I know this is not business related, so I want to make sure that I'm giving you guys what it is that, you know, that adds value to you. But uh, if you have any ideas of future podcasts, let me know. Just drop me a comment, send me an email you know, drop me a in-mail on LinkedIn, whatever it is. And I hope that this helps some of you. And I will be back next week with a new installment of Blonde Ambition. So I appreciate you listening. I hope this helps you. And I hope you guys have a great week.